This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Matos, everyone, 5781. The Pusik that we're talking about this week, it's really two psukim. In Perak Lamed Aleph, Pusik Yudalit, it says, Vayiktsov Moshe al-Pakude Achayo. The Moshe who got angry, got upset at the officers of war. Sorry, Alafim Besari Ameos, the officers of thousands, the officers of hundreds. Habayi Mitzvah Melchama, who had come from the war. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, Achayisim Kolnekeva, did you leave alive all the women? Did you keep all of them alive? Hain, hain, ahayu le Yisrael is the next puzzle. These were the women that were with B'nai Yisrael, Aldvar Bilam, because of what Bilam told them to do. How could you have allowed them to live? Now, we're going to have to talk about what it means to be angry. And that's really going to be the flux of the shear. The flux of the shear is concept of anger. Now, Rav Victor Miller says the word vayiktsop, instead of kaas, which is the other word that's usually used, kaas is obviously anger, kotsap is related to the word kofatz. In the classic way, when it comes to etymology in Hebrew, you can interchange letters, and it's really the same word. Kotsap and kofatz being the same things means just like you jump to get somewhere, so to cuts up is a jumping to anger. Normally, a person only comes angry when he forgets HaKadosh Baruch Hu and jumps to his own conclusions. And all of a sudden he says, like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that could possibly have been. That's the idea behind it. Moshe Rabbeinu never forgot HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He never got angry because he jumped to anger without even thinking about it. It was his zealousness toward HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah that allowed him to become angry. He was so upset that something could go wrong, that something like this could happen. He said, how in the world could you go against the Kaddish Baruch Hu's Torah that made him so upset? That means by Yiktzot. But this is an important point. Moshe Rabbeinu never lost control on the inside. He may have lost control on the outside, but he never lost control on the inside. He gave, as this is how, how Victor Muller puts it, a public demonstration, a showing of anger for the honor of a Kaddish Baruch because they understand what was wrong. But in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu never actually got angry. I'm going to give an example of this. My kid one time ran into the street to go get a ball. Now granted, I live in a street on Arthur in which there aren't that many cars that go by. But because there are Jews on my block, there are tons of people who drive way too fast than they should. So because of that, right, when my kid did that, I was scared for him. So what do you do? I took him over and I yelled at him. I yelled at him. Now, was I really angry at him? No. What's the anger of him running to the street? It's not that big of a deal to go grab a ball. But I yelled at him, and I said, you can't run into the street. I showed him the angry face. And obviously, after when he showed that scared, then he gave him a hug and a kiss, and he just like, I just don't want you to do that ever again. But the anger has to be shown. And that's the point. Moshe Rabbein over here was showing this anger, this jumping and all of a sudden becoming angry, not because he was actually angry, but because he knew that this is what the people needed in order to understand what they were doing that was wrong. The Igritakawa says that Moshe Rabbeinu understood and he realized the men had not sinned. He could recognize it in their faces when they came back from war. Because remember, Moshe Rabbeinu was no, no worse than any Hasidic Rebbe nowadays. If Rebbe's nowadays can look at your face and your forehead and tell if you sinned or you did a mitzvah, etc., there's no question at all. Moshe Rabbeinu had the ability to see it and look at his face and see the, these people didn't do anything wrong. There were no sins involved in it. However, they should have known better. 
That's how the Agudah Kala puts it. And the, 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 the anger was, how did you not think through what you were doing? How did you not think this through all the way through? Then Munasi Tekel, Rav Wolfson, says it could be that Moshe Reino allowed himself to get angry on purpose. He saw that they had not sinned yet. But he was worried that they would. And guys, this is Arias. This is Arias. Now here's a very, very unbelievable line. When there's an influx, and I believe, Dave, we did this in Rotsarika Cohen. When there's an influx of Ahava in the world, that means that people love each other. There's Achdus, there's brotherhood, there's brother love. People don't feel bad toward one another. But what that also brings about is a tremendous amount of Taiva. If you have too much love for something, then you may come to use it in an improper fashion. Now, on the other hand, when there's a lot of Midas Adin in the world, then people are angry at each other, they fight with each other, and there's bad things. But on the other hand, what you're able to do is, there isn't an issue of a riot. Taiva isn't the issue. It's more like what everything else might do and how everything else might happen. That's the issue of what happens over here. And that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of something like that happening that could cause them to be able to lose what they had had before. So that's exactly what's happening here. And I'm sorry, everybody, because this thing came off and I'm not so sure how it works. So I'm just going to put it inside my pocket like that. The problem is, and that's the difference, says Amunasi Tafa, Moshe Rabbeinu saw that Arayos might be a problem. They might have an issue with being together with these women. Not now, because they hadn't done it yet, but they might do something later on. So what did he do? He got angry. He brought anger into the world, Midas Adin into the world, and allowed the people... You've got to remember, Moshe Rabbeinu's taivas brought the mun, because he didn't have any taiva, therefore the mun came, which was a spiritual food. He's able to be mashpia into the world, something that is awesome. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu getting angry allows B'nai Yisrael to get that righteous anger. And therefore, they're able to fight the taiva that they have and nothing bad will happen to them. That's the extra, the, the extra level that he brought in. And he knew that there's a problem. If you get angry, then you're going to end up making a mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to accept that. I'm willing to make mistakes and be considered a sinner on my part if this is what B'nai Yisrael needs at the time. They need me to get angry so that nothing bad will happen afterward. Yeah, Dave. So how does this play into uh, last two weeks' parsha with, uh, with the women from Moab and Midian? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so I'm saying, he's getting angry now? No, no, no. So at the time, I, I, I'm going to go through it quickly. Back then, in the Parsha's Balak at the very end, and Parsha's Pentecost as well, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure what they were doing, if they were doing L'shem Shemayim or not. Zimri could have been L'shem Shemayim with Cosby, and therefore he couldn't answer yes or no when he came up to him and said, is this Motor or this Usser? He didn't know. It could be Motor, it could be Usser, it depends on and what your intentions are, but he didn't do it. Pinchas said, but Dalach is Kanayim Pogobo, to which he said, he himself couldn't make that decision because he didn't know, because maybe Zimri was L'shem Shemayim, and if so, you can do this if it's done in the right way, and there could be a Kiddush Hashem from it. Only Pinchas was able to look deep Deep, deep down, the way the Benish Chai says it, like deeper down than anybody else, to see that Zimri threw it all, even though he thought was L'shem Shemayim, he was still doing it out of Taiva. And therefore, he had to destroy it. But Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure what to do at that time. Should I bring more Avon to the world to allow this friendship to happen, to allow these people to join Kalah Yisrael? Or should I bring more Din into the world because that's what they need? But now, now they need anger. Because B'nai Yisrael could do something with these women later on. Now they need anger to make sure the Midas Adin is there so they wouldn't do anything wrong. That's the concept. It, the plague was really, you gotta, it, like, it's not simultaneous. It's not like it was one second. 
Cosby and Zimri come up to him, there's a plague, and Pinchas does it. This might have been over a period of, day, of a day. It could have been a period over hours. And even then, Moshe Rabbeinu still wasn't sure. Maybe there were people doing it low L'shem Shemayim, but there were other people doing it L'shem Shemayim. You still don't have an answer as to what you should do in that situation. I know I'm simplifying, oversimplifying it, but that's the idea. The concept is just that. And that's why the Yom Nisitiachah says it over here. Sipuri Chasidim, written by Reb Shlomo Yosef Zevin, on page 422, says, Reb Baruch was well known for yelling at his Talmidim and getting angry at them all the time. He even used to say, Hanefesh Asher Asu Bacharim, by Avon when he used to make the Gerim, the souls that they made in Kharim means, he created his Talmidim by using Haron Af. He made his Talmidim by getting angry at them and showing his righteous anger. So one time he was eating with a group of Hasidim, including his son-in-law, Rav Avram Dov of Chamilnik. When a rich man walked into the room, as soon as the wealthy man walked into the room, Rabar became berating, began berating him out loud, yelling at him, and told him, commanded him, the Hasidim should throw him out of the room. That's what he said. Right? So they did so, but his son-in-law turned to him and said, what does the Rebbe do with the Gemara? Ha-malbim penei chavero barabim. If somebody embarrasses someone publicly, ain lo So in fact, he never finished off, ain lo chelik that he doesn't have a chelik haba. He turned to him and he said, why don't you finish the line? The end of the line is, ain lo chelik So you're wondering, right, am I not going to have a chelik because I embarrass somebody publicly? Is that what you're wondering? He's called him a lamdan. He said to his son-in-law, he said, you're a lamdan. Oh, you really want to, you want to know what I was doing over here. He said, that man had terrible dinim on him. He deserved to die. By me embarrassing him publicly, right, I took off those dinim so that he wouldn't be punished. Wouldn't you think, said Rabbi Baruch that I would be, I would be willing to lose my olam haza, olam haba, for another Jew's olam haza? You don't think I'd be willing to do it? That's what Baruch HaMashvish was saying. Yes, I got angry at him, and I'm willing to give up something. And that's exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu did here. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that if I get angry, I'm going to become Lakaltos. But this is what B'nai Yisrael needs at the time. So what difference does it make if I make a mistake, or if I'm not Zoha to tell over the Parsha of Agoas Kalim, which is the next Parsha which Eliezer had to tell the B'nai Yisrael? What difference does it make? This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this, so therefore I'm going to do it. That's the idea that Baruch HaMashvish did with his Hasidim. Yeah, Shalom. I'm not saying it, but yes, according to Rolfson, it is. He did it on purpose, and he did it l'shem shemayim, so that that's going to happen. But the result of such things is balachal toes. So I can't say that, but yes, in a munitzitachal, he says that. It's a cool line, right? It's an unbelievable thing. Like, it's automatic. It's going to happen. You're going to have it automatically if you allow that to happen. On page 421, I got another one. One time a man came to check out the Baal Shem Tov. He wanted to see if the Baal Shem Tov was legitimate or not. You know, there were people that didn't believe in the Hasidim. They were misnagged him all the way through. So he went to check it out. He wanted to see if he really was who he said he was. So he watched him daven on Friday night, and he never saw Tzfil like his. He saw that Tzfil of the Baal Shem Tov. Guys, I, I, I know that if people go back in time, they would want to go back to Har Sinai, right? They may go back. I'd love to watch the Baal Shem Tov. Davin. There's a couple things that I'd really love to see among the Hasidim back in the day. Right, the Baal Shem Tov davening would be one of my things. I'd just love to watch him watch it. Just see a Shimon Esrei. So he went in. It was inspiring to watch. He was inspired by it. But when he joined the Baal Shem Tov on his way home, they got to his house and the Rebbe yelled at one of his servants with tremendous anger to run to the horses because the horse was choking and go help it. And when the Misharis didn't answer with alacrity, he didn't go with Zerizus, whatever it is, he yelled at him again. Unbelievable anger. Screamed at him. He even lifted up his hand to hit him. And then the servant ran, ran to go do what the Baal Shem Tov asked him to do. So 
now the guests couldn't understand it at all. How could someone who had such an unbelievable tefillah possibly get this angry? How could he get this angry? Like, that doesn't bother you? Like, how could that happen? But he didn't want to think of it. He, he, he had a great experience at the meal. The tish was unbelievable. The next morning, chakras, the Baal Shem Tov still had that davening. But the guest couldn't get it out of his head. He mamish couldn't get it out of his head. He sat there, he's like, how in the world could that have possibly happened? So at the end of the Shabbos, the Baal Shem Tov asked him, are you going back home, etc.? And he said to him, Rebbe, I just have one question. I don't understand. Why in the world did he get so angry? So the Baal Shem Tov said, there was a Jew that was walking on Friday and was not able to reach his town before sunset. He had to spend Shabbos in a field right off the road, but there were thieves in the area. They found him, and they were going to kill him for his money so that he wouldn't go tell everybody where they were and where they were living, etc. So I needed them to become afraid of something, the thieves to become afraid of something, so that it wasn't there, obviously. So I had to get angry at my servant and show that anger to them so they saw what it was there so that the people would feel afraid the same way that guy felt afraid. So at the end of the day, they would run away and not bother the guy. And he said, you don't believe me? Wait until tomorrow. That man is going to come in and he'll tell his story. And that's exactly what the guy did. The guy came in and said, all of a sudden, these robbers felt afraid of something. They started screaming. They all ran off in other directions. See, I, you know how they say, like, Baal Shem Tov stories are awesome. And there's a lesson behind them. The lesson behind this is exactly this. That a chassid, a talmud chacham, a, a tzaddik yesod olam can bring anger into the world and it can affect everything around them. Isn't that unbelievable? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. And that's a crazy idea. Yeah, so. So he might not have gotten angry, you're saying. So the question is, does getting angry cause those problems to come in Right, even if you're just showing it as opposed to internally showing it, which is interesting. As Nayim Latorah says, points out in that Apostle Tezvav, it says, Vayomer Moshe. Look at that, Tezvav. If a person is angry, what word do you think it would use? What word? A person is angry and he wants to tell you that he's angry. Vayadaber. That's Vayadaber. Vayadaber is a mean Lashon. That's a Lashon Kasha. What's Vayomer? He says, it's as if we would not know who was talking to them. And it says, Vayomer Moshe. Moshe said it to them. Moshe said, like, who else would say it to them? It's Vayomer and Moshe. We're talking about Moshe. Who else would have said something? It shows. This shows that even though Moshe was angry, he held back his anger and calmed himself down before talking to the people. At first, Moshe Rabbeinu saw it and said, oh my gosh, how could they have done this? But then he stopped, calmed himself down, and then looked to the people and said, okay, guys, what happened over here? How could you have done this? And that's a huge lesson as well. There are some times where you see something, especially when it comes to kids, where your anger takes over for that one second. And you don't think of anything else. Your immediate reaction is, my anger immediately into the words that I use. The key, and what Moshe Rabbeinu did over here is, yes, he got angry, and then he stopped himself and said, do I really need to get angry here? Let's see how I can say it. And then spoke it out to the people. Yes, he used harsh language. What were you thinking? Yeah, he said it in that way. But he thought about it before he said it. He then put it in. And that's why there's a pause in the Pasuk with a Lushan Raka instead of a Lushan Kasha. Isn't that a brilliant shot? I didn't even, if he wouldn't have pointed out that it was nine Latorah, nobody else points that out. I wouldn't have caught it in a, I had no clue. How I would have caught that. And Rashi says, we already mentioned this line, like, he got to anger, therefore he made a mistake. Rav Chatzko Levenstein says something awesome. 
It doesn't say Balichas. It says Balichlaukas. And Shlomo, maybe this answers a little bit of what you were saying before. He didn't really get angry. He allowed his anger to show the way that Aslan the Torah says, and then he paused before saying it. But he allowed something to be there. Unlike Aaron, who was always a Rodev Shalom and an Oev Shalom, who would never get angry at anybody, no matter what they did, Moshe Rabbeinu allowed himself to come into the cloud of Kas. Get that? That's amazing. That's the idea behind it. Both of them had amazing videos, and both of them had some, but each had a job to do. Aaron's job was to make peace with everybody among the people. Moshe Rabbeinu's job was to make sure that everybody understood He's the leader, and you gotta listen to me. Balechlaukas. That's what he did. Not balechas, balechlaukas. And even so, that causes a toast. Even so, that causes a mistake. Yeah, Shlomo, what's up? Are those the parallels to Avram Yeah, I think so. I Meaning, Aaron represents the way that Avram Avinu would have been in the world of Chesed, etc. Ahava bringing that in, and Moshe Rabbeinu within that Midas Adin to allow that to happen. Although you should know that I saw once in the Kedusha Slavi that it was the opposite. That Aaron was Midas Adin and Moshe Rabbeinu was Midas Chesed, right? Because he davened for them, while Aaron never davened for them in a different way. But that I, I think that's taking it and like showing how they broke their Midos and became people that they weren't by Aaron never getting angry and Moshe Rabbeinu allowing himself to get angry. I don't know. Yeah, similar to how Pimchas like was a man of Shalom and yet fought a war, etc. I think it's the same idea. Yeah, it's a Ab- cool idea. And Avram, Ab- well, obviously, every one of the others, like Avram, you know, being such a nice guy and yet being the biggest mass murderer on the planet because he killed more people himself than any other person because he fought that war against the four kings and killed more people than ever. Nowadays, you just say, like, why didn't you just have a peaceful summit? You should have just gone to, like, Switzerland and just gone up on a mountain and gone skiing together, and then you would have been fine with the four kings. But no, Avram, you know, went in and killed hundreds of thousands of people, right, by himself, him and Eliezer, right? And then afterwards, like, now you guys want to talk? <laughs> like, that was that. It, that's, it shows something that's totally different, right? Something that's completely different from what we think of as chesed. Nonetheless, it's clear that Moshe Rabbeinu was punished for getting angry, whether it was on purpose or not, whatever it is. And that's why Rashi tells us later on Pasuk HaBalot that he forgot Hilchos Giyule Nachrin, what it means means to kasher out Kalim, right, if something happens, etc. And Eliezer Cohen had to teach it to them and said, Remodechai of Nishchiz, I, I don't know how to pronounce this town, I, I have absolutely no idea. He once spent a lot of money to get a talus from Eretz Yisrael, and then he gave it to one of his Talmidim, I guess to sew it down, I don't know what that means, maybe the material he got from Eretz Yisrael, and he had to hem it down or whatever it is, the guy made a massive mistake. He folded up the talus and made a cut and realized that he literally had torn the beged in half. This is the beggar that he got from Eretz Yisrael. So he literally tore it in half before the Rebbe had ever worn it. He was scared out of his mind to tore, tell Reb Mordechai. And eventually he told Reb Mordechai, this is what I did, I'm so sorry. And Mordechai said to him, what's the big deal? There are two holes in this beggar. One hole for the tzitzis. And one hole for my head, I think, you know, the big hole on top. And the other hole for my anger. The hole's my anger. My anger will go through the hole and it'll go out the other side. And I won't get angry. And that's the idea behind it. Listen, there are some Arons in this world. Well, I would have done no, what I would have done. I probably would have killed him, right? That, that's probably what I would have done. I would have, I would have just stared at him, right? And just been like, did you just ruin my, did you know how much money I just spent on that? Right? But of course, that, that's, why, that's one of the very many reasons why I'm not Moshe Rabbeinu or Mordecai Nishes. <laughs> that's one of the many reasons. Okay, Ratchet went out that Moshe Rabbeinu only became angry at the officers here. Did you notice that? He became off, angry with the Sarei Alafim, the Sarei Amel, so Pekudei Achayel. He did become angry at the Chayalim. 
at the actual soldiers themselves. That tells us that the sins and the wrongdoings of the people are all on the leaders. It's on the leaders. You're the sorry elephant, the sorry males. It's on you. You can't let this happen. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu got angry at them and told them what they did wrong. What about Pinchas? Pinchas was the one who went to war with them. Pinchas started the war. He's not a sorry elephant, nor is he a sorry meos. Sorry elephant and sorry meos were of Bnei Yisrael. They were not of Shevet Levi. At least we don't think so. Pinchas was not one of the two. So why wasn't Pinchas included in this? Moshe Rabbeinu should have gone up to Pinchas and said, Dude, you're the leader. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you do something? That's what he should have done. So the Panach Raza says even more so. I'll get to make the, strong, the question even stronger. In Pasuk Bav it says, Osam the Es Pinchas. Pinchas was equal to every other person who went to war. There were 12,000 soldiers who went in, 132 leaders, the Sari Alafim and Sari Meos, and Pinchas. And Pinchas was equal to all of them. So why in the world are you not mad at Pinchas, who was equal to every single person there? He's the one to blame. After all, he had the Tzitz HaKodesh on his head, even if they would have said, well, we didn't know who was a woman who was together with B'nai Yisrael before, who was a sinner who wasn't. Pinchas had the Tzitz HaKodesh. He could just look at them and he would know who was Tameh and who was Tahor. He would know who was wrong and who was right. Why wouldn't Pinchas have done that? The leaders of army, yes, obviously, they did something wrong, but how could you not blame Pinchas? Miam Loez points out that this was exactly what caused Shaul Amelech to lose his kingdom. Do you remember this? Shoah Melech lost his kingdom because he was told to kill all of Amalek. And he made a cheshman. He said, some of these animals are really nice. We should bring them as korbanos. Agad, king of, king of Amalek, does he really need to die? Right? He had mercy on them. He had mercy on them. It's the exact same thing. This is an avon chamor that caused Shoah Melech to lose his kingdom forever. He couldn't get it back after this. It was done. So how in the world did Pinchas get away with it without losing anything? At least that we see, there's no punishment given to Pinchas, and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't even yell at him. How could that have happened? So the Torah of the Rabbeinu Bechaya said, once HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a bris of shalom, remember that bris of shalom in the beginning of Parshish Pinchas? They gave him honor, he could not show any anger toward him. Somebody that God honored, I can't get angry toward him. is that an interesting answer? Once you get a bris of peace, you're sort of like, you're good for good. You're good forever. Like, you're fine. You don't have to worry about anything. I, I, my only Shiloh with that is, Sholomelech was made king by God. Is that not an affirmation of, maybe not peace, but an affirmation of something that he's awesome? And yet, that wasn't good enough? He lost his kingdom because of that, but Pinchas got a brisk Shalom and that's better? I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why that would be any better. Then it see adds that just like he didn't get angry at Aaron after Nadav and Abihu had died, and they didn't eat from the Sirachatzes out of Aaron's honor, but rather at his children. He got angry at Elazar and Itamar, but he didn't get angry at Aaron. So too Moshe did not yell at Pimchas out of honor, rather at the Sarim who were under him. Really, he should have gotten angry at Aaron. Really, he should have gotten angry at the Sarim. But he didn't out of their extreme honor. And I guess that tells you that if somebody deserves to be yelled at, then you should treat him with honor and not do it in front of his Talmidim, in front of his cronies, whatever it is. Like if a boss sees that the manager made a major mistake, take the manager into your office, right, and yell at him there. Don't yell at the manager in front of the people that he's managing. Because if you do that, then that 
it, it, it takes down the credibility of that manager. It allows the manager to not believe in himself anymore. That's a terrible thing. You don't want that to happen. So apparently, I think that's the idea that Nassif is saying. He didn't do it to Aaron. He didn't do it to Pinchas. Even though they were to blame, he didn't take them down. That was not going to be there. The Ramban says, you know why Pinchas wasn't blamed? Because Pinchas never fought in the war. Pinchas was told to be there. He was the Meshuach Malchama, the anointee of war. But he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't really fully there. Therefore, he told them he didn't have to do it. And maybe that's the reason why. Maybe such a person never fought. He just joined the army and did what they had to do. But he didn't do anything more than that. It's possible that that's what the Ramban says. I don't know. It seems strange because we all know that Pinchas is the one that killed Bilaam. He certainly sounds like he was in the war. He flew up in the air and grabbed Bilaam and killed him. Now, I know there's another measure that says it would still have been done. But I, it seems strange that Pinchas wasn't involved in the war at all. Yeah, what's up, Aaron? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something different. I, don't, I mean, look, this is a kasha already in the Yushalmi. Is the Meshuach Mochama allowed to take an Eshesifas Torah? Now, the one thing wrong with that is, that can a Kohen take an Eshesifas Torah anyway? A Kohen cannot marry a Gioras. Can an Eshesifas Torah, who's a woman captured in war, is that mutter to a Kohen or not? That already is a Machlokis. Rav Shmuel, etc., in the Yushalmi. But there's another Shaila in that. Is the Meshuach Mochama, who technically is not in the war, is he allowed to take an Eshesifas Torah? He's not fighting. If he's not fighting, maybe he's not allowed to do anything. It's a good Shiloh, isn't it? I mean, it's a solid Shiloh. What would be over here? It seems over here that the way the Ramban is saying it, the Mishnah Muhammad doesn't fight and is not allowed to take an issue to and that's why Pinchas can't be blamed here. It's an interesting line. The Osnayin Torah says another Medrash, based on Parshas Vayera. Listen to this. Why did a Kaddish Baruch get angry at Sarah for laughing and not Avram for laughing? Does everybody know this? Everybody knows that Sarah made him laugh. But every, does anybody, everybody know that in Parshas Lechacha, when Avram Avinu was told that he was going to have a child, he also laughed. He also laughed. So why isn't he blamed for that? So there are answers there. Rashi answers a different type of laughter, a laughter of believability, laughter of, I'm so happy I can't believe it, while, while Sarah's laughter was, no way, that's never going to, like a scoff almost, like no way that's going to happen. The Medrash Rabbah asks this question and says, when two people do something wrong, Two people do something wrong, and one is greater than the other, the proper thing to do is to yell at the younger person so that the older person understands it. Remember how we said that Moshe Rabbeinu yelled at Elazar and Itamar about the Sirach Hatas, and Mamela Aaron understood that he did something wrong? So too over here, Avram Avinu was yelled at through Sarah. HaKadosh Baruch who said, Sarah laughed which Avramino understood that he himself did something wrong when he laughed. And so too over here, this is how the Aznayim Latorah used it for over here, Pinchas understood it when he yelled at the Saria Chayel. He yelled at the Saria Meos and the Saria Lafim. Once he yelled at them, Pinchas was like, oh my gosh, I realized it. But you yell at the younger ones, at the smaller people, and Mela, the other people, understand it. That's a crazy answer. It's a crazy answer, but he says that's based on the message over there. Rav Schwab says, it says, by Yitzvah, Midian, Kasher, Tziva, Hashem, is Moshe. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to fight Midian, seemingly only the men, and Moshe Rabbeinu commanded them to fight for the sake of Hashem, which indicated the women that were going to be there. Since it was the generals who fought, and Pinchas was not involved, therefore he wasn't blamed, and it's basically like that answer that we gave before, of like, he wasn't there. If he's not there, what do you want him to do? Similar to how the Ramban said it. But then there's the Meshachachma. You know why Pinchas can't be blamed? Because the men thought 
these women would be them through the halacha of Yeisha Sifas Toar, like we said before. They thought, even though these women sinned with B'nai Saul earlier, but Yeshua Sifas Toar should apply over here, and that's why they kept them alive, so they could marry them later. Pinchas couldn't protest. You know why? Because if he would have said, hey guys, don't take those women, you got to kill them. They'll say, you're only saying that because you can't marry an Yeshua Sifas Toar. They'll think he was no gay abadavr. So he couldn't say anything. But the Sari Alafim and the Sari Meos, they were Yisraelim. They could take an Yishis of Astor. They could have said something. So the Pekuri Achayol are blamed that they didn't say anything when they weren't as no Gevadavr. Okay, the Ibn Ezra says, I already mentioned this, Sari Alafim, Sari Meos, if you want to do a quick Cheshbin, I, I didn't want to do it really quickly. There are 132 of them. Sari Alafim and Sari Meos, there's 132 of each one. I, I'm sure you can figure it out. If there's six 100,000 people, right, in Klai, so you could probably figure out how many went through, but, I mean, this is different. 12,000 people went to war. So that would be 12 people, right, who would be Sare Alafim, right? And then how many would be Sare Meos? You'd assume 120. 120 plus 12 is 132, right? Each one being a leader, right, in that battle itself. The Torah's Moshe, as Sam Sofer says, it's a remez, to Balak. Bey's Lamed Kuf is 132. So they would remember why they're fighting in war. You know, it could even be that that's the reason why 12,000 people went in the first place. Maybe it wasn't because you needed 1,000 people from every Shevet. What's 1,000? Why do you need that? It's because you want the number of 132 for the leaders to remind them of Balak to know why they're going to war in the first place. It would be awesome if it had Bilam inside there somewhere, <laughs> somewhere as well. But that's an unbelievable Taurus Moshe. The Ayala Sashaka wonders, hey, what about the Sari Chamishim? The officers of 50, the story uh, Asaros, the officers of 10s. What about those? Don't worry about them, he says. Because the Vilna Gon says in Adaris Elio, Parsh Devarim, in Perak Aleph Pasuk Tazayan, that the Sari, uh, um, Sari Alafim and Sari Meos always went out to war, and the Sari Chamishim and the Sari Asaros never went out to war. They were not warriors, they were not generals, they had a totally different job. And that's why he yelled at the Sari Alafim and the Sari Meos. Then he asked the Kasha, he says, well, wait. Why yell at the Sare Meos if you should yell at the greater people? And the greater people are the Sare Alafim. The officers of thousands were greater than the officers of hundreds. So yell at the twelve who are Sare Alafim, and you don't have to yell at the Sare Meos, the 120 people who are Sare Meos. Why yell at them? What did they do wrong? They weren't the people. And the answer is, he says, I, I would assume, right, he doesn't answer the question, but I would assume that maybe Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure who to blame here. Maybe the Sari Alafim knew what to do, or they didn't, I don't know, they didn't want to say it for whatever reason. The, the blame is purely put on their shoulders. But maybe the Sari Alafim knew what to do and told it to the Sari Ameos, and the Sari Ameos didn't properly convey that to the people. There was a communication problem. And because there was a communication problem, therefore the story Mayo started to be blamed. So my thought is, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure which one of them had mis- messed up. Was it the story Alephim or the story Mayos, and possibly both? And we don't even know which one would have made the bigger mistake. I'm not sure. Okay, the Ibn Ezra says that altogether the word kol is lavdafka. It means, did you leave any of them alive? It doesn't mean did you leave all of them alive, but just that. There's a sworn, there's a chidah. And the truth is, what Victor Miller says, this shows the absolute greatness of Klal Yisrael. Look at the greatness of Klal Yisrael. There were 12,000 men who went to war and not one of them sinned. Not one of them did something wrong. You know, they, they say it nowadays with the soldiers and the IDF. I, I mean, I can't vouch for this. I, I have absolutely no idea if this is true or not. 
But can you imagine going to war against people that may have shot or bombed your mother's house and not wanting to kill them? Not wanting to kill them. It's just, it's impossible. You're in war. You're in battle. You have a gun. All you want to do is shoot them. You just want to take them down. These people are experts, and yet somehow they're able to calm themselves down and not do it. It's absolutely remarkable. Remarkable that we can have an invasion and only have the amount of deaths that we have. It only have whatever, 100, 200. I, I, it sounds strange to say because every human life is precious, everyone's. But it, it's, <laughs> don't give me that. But every, every single person's life is precious. But it seems like, says Victor Miller, this showed their absolute greatness, their unbelievable greatness. Now, I will tell you, it's a little bit of a misnomer to use this for Victor Miller and use it for the IDF because he says very specifically that we should destroy every single person who doesn't believe in, in Eretz Yisrael. If you live in Eretz Yisrael and you don't believe in it, you should destroy them. If you know Victor Miller, he got super angry. Someone who lives in America and doesn't appreciate America, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Kill them if you have to. Like, he had that opinion, and he was extremely strong about it, which obviously is something that is very Nogea for nowadays. <laughs> That's, so I don't want to use Victor Miller in the wrong way here, but Victor Miller does say that this is amazing for Ben Esau, that they were that successful and that nothing happened. Okay, so I, I have... How much? Seven minutes? Is that what I have? Is 9.08 right now? Yeah? I have seven minutes. I'm going to literally run through this, okay? Why did the generals leave the women alive? What was their thought process? What were they thinking altogether? So I found six answers to this question. Number one is, is the This is the classic answer. It says, although it is true by other wars that women and children are kept alive, that's because they're never involved in the fighting. They stay at home. They're not as evil as the husbands or the fathers that had perpetrated their evil. And that's the reason why they're fighting them in the first place. Therefore, we keep them alive, etc. That's a pusik betherish in Devar and Perakov, that you leave the women and children alive. Here, it's logical these women would have to die and the men because they're the reason why the 24,000 people had died, right? They were the reason why they were fighting Midian in the first place. That should have been obvious even though the commander was not explicit and therefore Moshe got angry. The Sari Achayo, the Pekudi Achayo made the decision based on other wars. Other wars, you don't fight women and children. So they didn't kill them. But over here, Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's Seichel that you have to. They're the ones who sinned. They're the ones who caused all of an Israel to die. You should have killed them. The Shlokhutter says that something that, something that a person's Seichel considers that should be done is automatic. You're high for it as if, if you didn't do it, you're 100% to blame for it. That's why they're punished. Think about it. Bilaam was punished because he couldn't understand what Hashem wanted him to do. He should have figured that out. How could he not figure out what Akash Baruch wanted him to do? And therefore, that's his fault for not figuring it out. And that's that. I'm sorry? So that's what they thought. They thought that the women were being forced to do so. And that Moshe Rabbeinu was being machadish to them or told them. It's not true. They had a choice. They should have, they should have made a decision. The Kudakar says they already knew about the nations of Ammon and Moab that their men would not be allowed to join Klai but the women would be allowed to. Obviously, later on. It was normal for them. It was not normal for women to bring out food and water, but it was normal for men. And when the men didn't bring out food and water, therefore they were playing while the women, etc., it's something like that. The assumption is, right, that that's why the women were going to be a little bit different. The generals thought to themselves, perhaps the same law would apply to these women, right? They shouldn't be killed. Why? Because since their husbands are all killed, they're going to join into Claudius, so they're going to marry us anyway. It would be like the Moabios and the, the Ammonios, and therefore they should be mutter, right? Because 
they, they shouldn't be involved. The Malaw Omer said specifically, he adds on, that it was the men who had hired Bilam, and that's like what you said. The men had hired Bilam, they initiated the advice. The women don't usually hire, you know, hire outside advisors to know what to do with their enemies, and they don't always get involved. Maybe they knew what they were doing, maybe they didn't, but should they really be blamed? And the Kliyaki continued that Moshe Rabbeinu said that's the wrong decision. Moabiyam and Ammoni women will be able to join Klausel in the future because of the Kedusha that would come from them, the Ruses and the Namas that would come from them in the future. Midian doesn't have that. And therefore, those women were not permitted to live and they were supposed to be taken down. The Kliyakar adds another reason they were mistaken is because B'nai Yisrael had started up with the Benos Moab, but the Benos Midian had seduced B'nai Yisrael. The Benos Moab can stay alive because it was B'nai Yisrael who ran after them. The Benos Midian came after B'nai Yisrael. They would have to be killed, and that's that. We even said last week, it could be that the Benos Moab weren't even involved. It was Benos Midian the entire time pretending to be the Benos Moab, and they were just dressed up like the Benos Moab, but it wasn't really them in the first place. The Panach Raz says there was something else that should have led them to believe they made a mistake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu, Nekom Nikmas Bnei Yisrael Meis Midian, and Moshe told the people, Nekom Nikmas Hashem. And there's a difference between taking the vengeance of Bnei Yisrael versus the vengeance of Hashem. They should have realized Nikmas Bnei Yisrael was to kill the men who planned the attack, while Nikmas Hashem was against the women who caused them to sin, etc. Right? The fact that he said Bimidyon and not the Bimidyonim plural, sounds like it's the men and the women. It's all of Midian, as opposed to anything else. Rav Schwab gives his answer as well, and he says right over there, but the Chsam Sofer says literally the exact opposite. He says in the Torah's Moshe, Nikmas Bnei Yisrael means every single one of them should die, because they were involved in doing whatever they did to Bnei Yisrael. Nikmas Hashem is for God's honor, which seems the men, because they were the ones who hired Bilam and did this whole thing, or whatever it was, while the women just listened to their men, and that's the difference. So when Pinchas and the generals heard it from Moshe, and he said, Nikmas Hashem, they thought it meant just the men and not the women. So he went up to Moshe, and there's a medrash that says, Pinchas went up to Moshe after the war and said, I did what you told me to do. And Moshe is like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because Pinchas thought that when he said, Nikmas Hashem, it meant only do the Nikmas Hashem and only kill the men. To which Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, 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 it's Nikmas Bnei Yisrael and Nikmas Hashem. I wanted you to kill both. I was adding to what Hashem said, not subtracting, not excluding. And that was the mistake that they made. The Dubna Magen, and I'm going to end with this mushal, gives a mushal to understand this. A poor man brought in his wares to a wealthy man's house and he placed a large glass pitcher on the table. The, the wealthy man was looking at it, checking it out, looking to see, that's nice, it's good, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden a servant came in the room, knocked on the table, like hit the table, and the glass cup fell down to the ground. Now the poor man, the merchant, wasn't sure, is the rich man going to blame me, or is he going to blame himself? Like, who's going to take this down? Like, who's going to take the blame for this? The rich man turned to the servant and said, look what you did to this poor man. You destroyed his cup. You destroyed his pitcher. And the poor man realized, oh man, (laughs) I'm going to have to take the hit here. I'm going to have to take the hit. The rich man is not going to blame himself. He's going to blame me for what had happened over here. Says the Dubna Magid, when Hashem said, Nikom Nikmas B'nei Yisrael, it's clear he's blaming B'nai Yisrael for their sins. B'nai Yisrael did this. B'nai Yisrael are to blame. And the Midyanim sinned against B'nai Yisrael, so you got to kill all the Midyanim who did something against B'nai Yisrael. You guys did this. Clean up your mess. And that means take care of the men and the women. And that's what he understood. Once he said it, that was that. Moshe Rabbeinu argued the men were on Nusim. They couldn't help themselves. They'd never seen women like this. The women had seduced them very badly. They couldn't help themselves. Therefore, the women were not to blame because technically they didn't do anything to the men because the men were anusim instead of potion. 
And therefore, you don't blame the woman, only the men. So he said, Nikmas Hashem. That's what they understood from Moshe Rabbeinu's words. They understood the wrong way, that the women shouldn't be killed. Not Karka Olam, but nonetheless an Ones. There could be an Ones. Now, he was wrong. So at the end of the day, no. Right? But the concept of, well, they seduced them, is it really their fault? Seduced the men is really their fault. That's how the Jumagin said, if you look at what they did, like only after Akadosh Baruch Hu said, see, I told you, it was, so to speak, that's when they understood what it was. There's two other answers to everybody, the Meshach Chachma and the Meashiloch and the Tiferes Yonis and Rabbi Yonis and Ibshitz, but we're not going to go through that right now. That's awesome, everybody. Have a great Shabbos. <laughs>